We do want to welcome you here this morning. We're so glad you chose to worship with us here at Pleasant City Church. It's interesting when you really think about it as it relates to Easter, we're doing what 2.3 billion people across the planet will be doing today, and that is celebrate the resurrection. And many churches do it in many ways. Many denominations do it in many different ways. But we're here today for one reason, and that is to celebrate that resurrection. I, I've got a little, uh, need a little help here this morning. Abby and Judd, would y'all come on up here? They're going to come and help me a little bit this morning. So as they're coming, let me give you the introduction there on your outline. I'm going to jump right in. We really want to introduce this whole idea of what the resurrection is really all about. Easter is a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It is by far the greatest news of all time. It was the news of the first century. If you were in the first century and you were there in Jerusalem, guess what? The news would spread fast that Jesus is no longer in the grave. Something happened. Many myths began to grow out of the fact he wasn't there. There were those who were paid off to say that the disciples uh, basically came and stole his body. But there were so many things as it relates to his death that we do know from the historical account not only from the Bible, from the scriptures, but from many other historical documents that Jesus did, in fact, was he was raised from the dead. He was seen after the execution. Now, look on your outline. It, the resurrection guarantees the salvation of those who are believers, but also guarantees the condemnation of those who are non-believers. I want to invite you, if you will, to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28 or on your iPhone or however you want to do it, your, I started to say your, your Android, I almost messed up. But anyway, uh, first thing I want you to see this morning are the proofs of Jesus' resurrection. And of course, the proofs begin with the verbal account. Matthew writes in his gospel uh, concerning this verbal account. And Miss Abby Webster is going to read that account to us. So Matthew chapter 28, look at verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. Okay. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. And the guards shook in fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly to tell his disciples that he is, he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going to, before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to his disciples' word. And they went to tell his disciples that, Behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they said... So they came and held him by his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. All right. Thank you, Miss Abby. We appreciate it. Hold on. I want to ask you a question. What do you think is the most important verse in everything you just read there? Um, Look at verse 6. See it? Uh-huh. All right. I want, you to, I want you to say it with passion. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly to tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. 
All right, that's good. All right, she did good, didn't she? All right, thank you. You did a great job. We appreciate that. I want to ask you to go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You know, it's interesting, the Apostle Paul had much to say about the resurrection, even though he was not a witness to it. He had a lot to say about it. And of course, uh, he not only took the accounts of the disciples and those who were around the whole story there, but Jesus himself appeared to Paul. You remember his episode as it related to his story? On his way to Damascus, he encountered the resurrected Lord. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we have the visual account in a letter that was written 20 years later. And so Judd's going to help us with this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, starting there. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel which I preached to you, which you received, and which you stand by, which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance to the scripture, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas, when to then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most whom were still alive, though some had fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles. You know what's you know what's inter interesting about this is five hundred people saw him at one time. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? And then not only that, if you look down here, it says he also appeared to James. You know who James was? That was actually Jesus' half-brother. He lived in the same household with Jesus when they were boys. Isn't that pretty cool? Now, do you think it would be hard to believe that your brother Brody would be the Savior? Would that be hard to believe? That would be hard to believe. <laughs> Well, what's interesting about this is James became a believer after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he saw it for himself. He grew up. Can you imagine growing up in the home of Jesus, see all this play out and get to the very end and say, you know something? Uh, he is Lord. He is Lord. And that's exactly what was the testimony of James. Thank you so much, Judd. We appreciate you, buddy. All right. I want us to also look here this morning at the victorious account. You, see, you look at all the scriptures relating to the resurrection and, and all of Christian faith, if you really think about it, it rests on the resurrection. If there is no resurrection, we're in trouble. But what's interesting, as I said, as we introduced this sermon, it wasn't just the gospels. It wasn't just Paul. It wasn't just the Old Testament predicting the resurrection. We have historical accounts if you go back and study that many have agreed that something happened, something beyond. There was a man who was executed, and several days later, they saw him again, 500 at one time. And we see that in the writings of Josephus, a historian. So it's not just the scriptures that give us the account of Jesus being risen from the dead. But what if he wasn't? I want us to look at that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, look at verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? And basically, a letter written 20 years later, the story had gotten out, many people were believing it, and that we we're seeing this resurrection, and, and Paul asked the question, how is it some of you there believe there's no resurrection? How's that even possible? 
But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. The word empty there means it contains nothing. It's foolish talk. But we know it's not. In verse 15, it says, yes, and we are found false witnesses of, of God because we have testified to God, of God, that he, was ra he raised up Christ, who he did, whom, whom he did not raise up. In fact, the dead did not rise, if you say that. For if the dead did not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your face is futile. That means it's useless. It's ineffective. It's pointless. You are still, by the way, still in your sins if there is no resurrection. Then also those who have fallen asleep, that literally means those who have died in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or those who have died. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as at, in Adam all die. And that's where we're headed. And unless Christ comes back, we're all going to eventually die. Even so, in Christ, all shall be made alive. But each one is in his own order, Christ the firstfruits. Afterwards, those who are Christ at his coming. Then, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to the God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule, all authority, and power. You know what Paul is saying here? Paul is saying, do you really want to take a chance that Jesus did not rise from the dead? Because if you are, you just need to, be, you need to know something. He's coming back. He's coming back. And, and literally, he was putting them on notice that you may want to take this thing over the this whole idea of the resurrection very seriously. Do you really want to take that chance? And that's what he's saying here. So look on your outline. Why does Jesus' resurrection, what does it mean? It, number one, it means he is who he claimed to be. When, it, when we get the account that he rose from the dead, he's literally saying, hey, this is what I am. This is what I've done. Jesus, think about it, made some outrageous claims when he was on the earth. Think of some things he said. He said, I'm God. When you've seen the Father, you've seen me. I'm the Savior of the world. He, he went on to say in John chapter 11, he's at the tomb of, of Lazarus. And listen to what Jesus says. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Do you hear the authority in which he spoke? He's literally saying, in me rests the power of life. In me rests the power of resurrection. And if you believe in me and you take what I'm offering you, guess what? You too cannot, you too will not face this death that I've faced. And then in John chapter 14, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. Boy, that's so bold when you hear it. Do you hear the authority in his words? Jesus was either who he said he was or he was the biggest liar who ever lived. However, his resurrection validated that he was who he says he was. Second of all, Jesus' resurrection also means that he has the power he claimed to have. In John chapter 10, it says, no one takes it from me, talking about his life, but I lay it down myself. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it again. He's literally saying death has no power over me. 
I will die. And I will die gladly on your behalf. And, and I will take on your sins. And, but here's what you need to understand. I won't stay dead because I have the power over death. And of course, he's talking and referring to his resurrection. You see, no force could keep him in the tomb. Think about it. The Romans killed him. They put him in a tomb. They put a huge big stone in front of the tomb and they sealed it with the Roman seal. They posted a regiment of 24 guards, uh, or of guards 24 hours a day. They were, on, they were only trying to prevent the inevitable. Jesus had all the power in the universe at his disposal. And we see that he did what he said he was going to do. Next, Jesus' resurrection also means that he does what he promised to do. I want you to think about this. When you, when you think about uh, the resurrection, there's a little humor in it. You may say, well, now this is such a sacred thing. How, how is there humor in this? Well, think about this. Suppose you're one of the Roman soldiers who went out and, and had this man executed and you're the one who drove the nails into his hands and his feet and, and maybe you're the one that poked him in the side with the sword uh, or the spear and, and all these things go down and all of a sudden, a couple of days later, he, he's walking through the city. You pass by him and there he is. You not see the humor in that? A little humor there when you think about it. What would you say to someone you thought you put to death? Jesus said this, speaking of himself. He said, they will mock me, they will scourge me, they will spit on me, they will kill me, but on the third day, I will rise again. I'm coming back. Jesus did what he promised he would do. Next, why does Jesus' resurrection matter? Why does it matter? Have you ever thought about that? Yeah, I've always heard there was a resurrection. I always heard that they killed him. I know about the cross. I mean, much jewelry is made up from the cross. And you see all these different things. But how can Jesus' resurrection affect me personally? How does that even happen? Well, first of all, your past can be erased. How many of you are sitting here today and there's some things back there in your past that really haunt you? I mean, they, they, you know, you, you not only let your others down, you let yourself down with something maybe that happened years ago. Maybe you're just kind of at a loss. You're, you're bound by your past. Maybe there's that issue of unforgiveness in your heart. I mean, think about that. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. This will be the last place I ask you to turn. I, I want to show you something about this new life that we can have as a result of the resurrection. I think many of us, if we could start over, we would love to start over. We've all done things we wish we had not done. We've all said things we wish we had not said. We, we've thought things we wish we had never thought. We all have regrets. We all feel bad about maybe some of the things in our past. We all are carrying probably a measure of guilt and shame. In Colossians chapter 2, look here on the screen. It says, when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us, look at there, all our sins, having counseled the charge of our legal indebtedness. Now, here's what that means. That means the fact that we owed something to God. There was something that was owed, and that was the payment for our sins. Have you ever thought about that? There was, a, there was something that was owed, there was a payment that's due. And it wasn't just a, something due out there in the universe. It wasn't this group of people. No, it was you and I. There was something that we owe 
and it's the debt for our sins. And here's what he's saying. He's saying that Christ, he, he's forgiven us of our sins. He's canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. Before we come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, before we accept his payment for our sin, we need to understand that before all that, we were standing condemned before God. Not, not, not just guilty, but condemned. And then it says he has taken it away, talking about our sin, nailing it to the cross, nailing that indebtedness to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You see, it wasn't just your sin that was on display on the cross. Guess what? The enemy and all his uh, merry men, so to speak, are there, and, and he's defeating them in the process. It wasn't just for the payment of our sin. It was a victory over death. It was victory over the enemy. Victory over the enemy who, for many of us, has us in his bondage. All that was made possible by the cross. You see, this is God's pardon program. He, he says he nailed all our failures, our sin, our guilt, our shame to the cross. And if you're sitting here today and you're dealing with this guilt, you're dealing with this shame, you don't know what to do with it. And all this stuff kind of, I mean, let's face it. We all have to get along with ourselves sometimes. And you know what I'm talking about. Maybe it's those moments before you go off to sleep or maybe you're there in the moments and, and you can't find enough busyness to keep you busy enough where you can't think about it. And all of a sudden you're there with just your thoughts and you're reminded of your guilt and your shame. I think if we all are completely honest, we know what I'm talking about. And the one named Jesus came to erase all that. On our behalf, if we come to him on his terms. Someone has rightly said Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross so we can quit nailing ourselves to the cross. You see, that's what guilt and shame does. We feel like it needs to be paid for. You see, deep within us, we know it needs to be paid for. And for many people, they do it themselves. They say, well, you know, if I go over here and do more good works, maybe I can erase that because, boy, this is heavy. I'm feeling this. Now, you can't do that. You can't clean yourself up. You, you have no authority to forgive your own sin. It doesn't work when it comes to who God is. You've got to put it at the feet of Jesus there at the cross. He wants to forgive our past. He, he says he wants to counsel every record of our sin debt. Because Jesus is who he says he is, our past can be erased. We don't have to go on carrying on a load of guilt. It's unnecessary. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are, and here it is, in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus is just a phrase that says, those who have come to, to Jesus in, in the terms he set forth by the, the Father set in terms for him. So in Philippians chapter 3, I want you to look at verse 7. It says this. Paul says, but what things were gained to me, those I've counted lost for Christ. There were those things that were in my past, those things that, that I thought somehow made me look good, those things that, that fed my ego, those things that seemed to cover the guilt and the shame that I was feeling. And he's saying, you know something? I counted those things for loss. They didn't work. Yet indeed, I do count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ. 
verse 9, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. Paul is basically saying, you know something, before Christ came along, I had my own set of pursuits. There were some things I wanted. There's things, there was a path I wanted to take, and, and it was something I wanted. But Paul said, you know something, all that ended when I met Christ. And I realized he was the Savior, the one that could literally save me from myself. It says, but that which is through faith in Christ, the, righteous, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So here, here, here it is. How can Jesus' resurrection affect you personally? That past that you've been carrying along for so long can be erased. You say, it seems so simple, so simplistic. Really, how can I pay for it? You can't. You can't. You got to let him pay for it. You got to trust him to handle it. Not only can your past be erased, but your present can be handled talking with a lot of people over the years as a pastor, there seems to be a theme to many people's lives, and maybe this is a theme to your life. Some say, I feel my life is out of control. I feel powerless to change my situation. I feel powerless to break a bad habit. I feel powerless to, to get out of debt. I feel powerless to, to manage my time and my schedule. All these things seem to be out of my control. You see, what we need in us is a greater power that, than is what in us. And we need to realize that we were never meant to live this life in our power. God wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to go with you through those times. He literally says that. We just have to invite him in. Philippians chapter 3, look at verse 10. Paul said that I may know him. The word know there is not just a bunch of information about him. It's that whole idea that he wanted to experience him. He wanted to experience him and the power of his resurrection. He's literally saying, I want to experience him. I want to have a life of victory that he can give me. And then he says, in the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And I want my life to have purpose. Verse 11, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead... Not that I've already attained or already perfected, but I press on. Paul says, you know something? I found it within myself. I can never measure up. I can never get where I desire to be. It seems to always come up short. That's what he's saying here. Not that I've already attained or already perfected, but I press on. I keep moving on. How's he moving on? That I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. That the reality of who Christ is and what he provides can be a reality in my life. Your past forgiven. Your present, a present that can be handled. But thirdly, your future that can be secured. You know, talking to most people, I think most of us fear the future. I think we do. I think there's a lot of people that, if you say, what do you fear the most? Well, some people say, I fear failure, I fear rejection, but... If you really lay it on the line, I, I fear what the future may hold. And many people I hear say that. In Philippians chapter 3, look at verse 13. He says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, that past that Christ can take away, and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, a new start, a fresh start. One that's defined and directed by God. And then in verse 14, he says this. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
coming to him on his terms. Jesus said, I've come that you may have an abundant life. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, this is the last letter we believe he wrote just before his execution. Here's what he says. He says, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. He wasn't looking at his future with fear, even though he knew he was about to be executed. He looked at his future with expectation. And that's what the resurrection can guarantee us, an expectation that far exceeds our own death but also reaches into eternity. One of the universal problems we all have is death. Everybody dies. You're probably sitting here today, thank you for reminding me of this. You've given me coffee and donuts and <laughs> took my picture and now you're telling me I'm gonna die. <laughs> Let me just say this. I don't even really have to say it. It's a reality in all our lives. And it will be a reality. Only, think of this, y'all. Only a fool would go through life unprepared for something that they know is going to happen. And yet we get so busy with the here and now. We get so busy going back and forth. And we think the busyness, maybe it takes our mind off of it. We're still going to face that reality one day. It still hangs out there. And the resurrection is there to guarantee us that life can come after death with eternity in heaven. But we don't like to talk about it. A group of children were asked to write sentences about what they believed about death. Glenda, age eight, said this, when you die, they put you in a box and bury you in the ground because you don't look so good. <laughs> Marcia, age nine, said, when you die, you don't have to do homework in heaven, unless I guess your teacher's there too. <laughs> Stephanie, age nine, said, doctors help you so you won't die, so you can pay their bills. <laughs> the fact is everyone or everybody has a deep eternal longing to know what is going to happen after they die. Philippians chapter three, look at verse 20. Paul says this, and he, I mean, there's an expectation of what God, he knows God's going to do in his life through Jesus. He says, for our citizenship is in heaven. When we come to know Christ, when we come to know Christ on God's terms, guess what? We're not only living in this world, we have a citizenship somewhere else from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, for this new reality promised to us and guaranteed by the resurrection. How does it come about? Through the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. You know what that literally means, the last part? It means you can count on it happening because he has the power to see that it, that it is carried out. Jesus' resurrection assures us that we who are believers have a glorious future after death. Next, how does Jesus' resurrection not matter? How, how, how is it that we can know it's there, believe that it took place, and, and then it not really matter? How can, we, how can that be a reality in our life? Well, the Bible says clearly in Ephesians 2, 9, it says this, not of works, lest any man should boast. He's talking about salvation here. He's talking about the grace that God wants to extend to you. And he's basically saying, you can't work for it. 
You will never measure up in and of yourselves as it relates to this. And he's very clear here. So many of us have attempts to bypass the cross. I mean, think about this, y'all. God the Father sends his only begotten son down to earth. He lives a sinless life. He becomes a sacrifice for sin. He's beaten nearly to death. He's hung on a cross. He's put there as a result of our sin. And all of a sudden, he's raised from the dead. But here's what's interesting. Many people say, you know something? I've heard the story all my life, but I think I'll do it a different way. Thank you, God. Thank you anyway. But let me try it a different way. Can you imagine how offensive that is to God? That his son was not good enough? That you think that wasn't good enough? Maybe I need to try this way or that? So what do most people do? They attempt to bypass the cross. Look on your outline by attempting salvation by sincerity. I've heard some say it doesn't matter what you believe. You can probably finish the sentence as long as you're sincere. Can I tell you that's just craziness? It really is. That is a message the world's putting forth. I I know this sounds harsh. Did you know that Hitler was very sincere in what he did? Did you know he wrote a book, a complete work, of how sincere he was and what he believed? Are Are you aware of that? He outlined every thought he had about what he believed and he was so sincere that he put it out there and, and hundreds of thousands of people believed it and they became a killing machine as a result. They were very sincere about what they believed. But many people say, as long as you're sincere, God doesn't care about anything else. That's a lie. How about this? Attempt to bypass the cross, attempting salvation by service. Some people think I'm going to work myself to heaven. Man, God's done so much for me. I understand. And Christ, yeah, I know the story, but I'm going to choose. I'm going to just work. I'm going to just do good every time I can do good. Here's another one. Attempting salvation by subtraction. (laughs) Most people say that a Christian is a person that doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, doesn't cuss, doesn't cheat on anybody. They're all trying to identify as a Christian by what they subtract out of their life. That still is a move to bypass what the cross represents and the resurrection guarantees. How about this attempt to bypass the cross, attempting salvation by ritual? You know, it's amazing in Cleveland County, and I'm not picking on Cleveland County. I think this is pretty much everywhere you go, you're going to hear this. But it seems like, especially here in Cleveland County, with so many churches around, you talk to someone, you begin to talk about faith issues with someone, and you don't even have to mention the the church. But you know what most people say? Yeah, 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 I know all that. I'm a member of such and such church. I was baptized in such and such church. I go to that church. I take communion in that church. Y'all? Those are good things. They're great things. But a part of the provision of the cross, they mean nothing. They mean nothing. And we need to understand that. How about this? Attempting salvation by heritage. I can't tell you how many times I've heard this. Yeah, my grandmother, man, she started. I mean, she just loved the Lord. And my mama came along and she loved the Lord. And I'm not making fun of that. Some of you have a rich legacy and heritage. And and, and you shouldn't ask to trade that for anything. But let me just tell you this. Just because they were dedicated, just because they came to Christ the right, right way, doesn't mean that you have if you're trusting in their faith. 
How about this? Attempting salvation by comparison. I can't tell you how many times, and this is a mark against the church too, however, where I'll talk to someone and they'll say, well, I'm just as good as anybody you got at your church. Matter of fact, I know some people in your church and I'm better than them. That doesn't work either. So how does Jesus' resurrection matter? It's not by attempting, but by accepting. I want you to think of this. Would you like to have every sin, everything you've ever done wrong, completely forgiven? Would you like to have a clear conscience? Would you like to acquire new power that would help you manage the problems in your present life? Would you like to have your future secured in a way that you really don't have to fear? That's what the cross offers and the resurrection guarantees. And that's what we need to understand. This is the difference. This is why it matters. How, by, how do we understand? That, that how, what kind of, uh, of uh, understanding the resurrection can make in our own personal lives? Why did Easter happen? Why did Christ rise from the dead? What's a different, what kind of difference did it, did it make? It made a big difference. It's your only hope. It begins by accepting. Look on your outline. Number one, accepting salvation by your repentance. The Bible says in Acts chapter 3, this is one of the richest verses in all the Bible. This is what it says. Repent. Turn away from your sin. Turn to God. Be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I can't tell you how many times grown adults that I've talked to have come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior and they, they felt like the weight of the world was lifted off of them. They felt freer than they've ever felt in their life. And there's people in this room that have that testimony. I've talked with them and they said, man, it just made the biggest difference in my life. That's what he's offering. But the Bible says it comes by repentance. Here's another one, accepting salvation by God's provision. First Peter chapter one, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, that's reserved for you in heaven who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time or the last day. All this is made, by, all made, all this is made possible by the resurrection through the cross, guaranteed by the resurrection. So here's the application this morning. What are we going to do with this? What do we do with this information that we've been singing about? What do we do with this information that uh, these two beautiful children came up here and presented to us through God's word or through this sermon? What does it look? Listen to this. The resurrection of Jesus takes care of our greatest need, our sin problem, our guilt and shame problem, our fear problem. So here's the question. What is keeping you from identifying with and accepting the victory of Christ's resurrection? What's keeping you from that? What's keeping you from the provision of the cross and the guarantee of the through the guarantee of the resurrection? Where are you here today? Y'all, there's been a lot of people praying for this service. You do know that. It wasn't just someone tracking down some donuts, making sure the coffee was good, making sure that um, 
that we took your picture in a way that was presentable for most of us. There was a lot of prayer that went into this. And y'all, we would be wasting our time if we didn't pray that God would just get into the life of somebody and the heart of somebody here this morning and just shaking them up a little bit and causing them, the Holy Spirit, causing them to realize they have a need. They have a need of a Savior. And let me just tell you this. God provided one, and his name was Jesus. And he went to that cross to provide forgiveness for your sin, for your past. That he can help you in your present through the power of the resurrection. That the future does not, no longer, it no longer has to hold for you fear. All that was provided by way of the cross and guaranteed by the resurrection for you, for me. So this morning, if you don't know him, I want you to invite him. I want to invite you to know him here this morning. We'd be glad to take God's word and pray with you concerning a decision that you need to make here today. And we'd love to do that. And we're going to give you a little time to do that. So I'm going to ask you right now, if you'll just stand to your feet with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. They're going to play softly behind us. I'm going to be here at the front. And we just ask you, if God's doing something in your life, Maybe you don't even know what's going on this morning. You're sitting there and you don't even know what's going on. There's just something happening and you're just like, I don't even know what's happening. Maybe I can help you navigate through that. I'll be here at the front. And we just call on you to just do what God's calling you to do. Maybe you need to pray about something here. Just do what he's calling you to do. Would you take these moments with your heads bowed and your eyes closed?